morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Everyone who has breath in their lungs on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ, say good morning. Awesome. That's the only reason we have it, because he allows it. Let, us, let me open up in prayer before we get started with uh, today's message. Heavenly Father, precious Jesus, uh, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this day that you have made for us. We thank you that we are here. Uh, we thank you um, that we live in this amazing country, Father, uh, that you have blessed so richly, Father. Uh, but not that we should keep those blessings to ourselves, Father, but that we would share them with others within our own country and countries abroad, Father. Uh, we are all made in your image, whether it be Afghanistan or American or German, wherever it may be, Father. We are all made in your image. And I just pray you'd be with today's message, Father. And uh, again, just that your word uh, would be uh, spoken true. People would hear it in truth, Father, and would apply it to their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're opening up in First Thessalonians. That's the series we're doing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 13, and we're going to go read all the way through verse 5 of chapter 3, if you guys would follow along. Chapter, uh, verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us, keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly. I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. So when, we could, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our laborers might, labors had, might have been in vain. Amen. Um, so we're going to cover all that briefly in chunks, in sections. Um, the first part of this, and I wanted to, to give thanks uh, to... Uh, pastor David Guzik, who is a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara, and our own famous pastor, Richard Brown, for their guidance uh, in helping me to prepare for this uh, message. Um, let me start by saying that uh, the opening, this that we just read, this first opening here, 
is talking about the Word of God is effectively and continually working in the believer. Um, Paul is thankful that they welcomed the gospel as God's message, not man's. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. This is Paul talking. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. When you received the word of God, Paul earnestly, Paul earnestly believed and taught others that God had spoken to man and what and that we have recorded this word of God. Paul believed in a voice that speaks to mankind with the authority of eternity and speaks above mere human opinion. Since we do have this word of God, we have a true voice of authority. Um, many of us all believe that, that the Bible is the word of God. It is the actual spoken word of God to man, and they wrote it down for us. Some people like to say that there is a word of God, but that we cannot be sure of what, it, what he says. When we appeal to the Bible, they like to reply, that's just your interpretation. There are certainly some places where the word of God is hard to precisely interpret, there, but there are not many such places. If we cannot know what God has spoken, then he may as well not have spoken at all. The Thessalonians received the word of God as, as it is true in truth. Paul presented it not as the word of men, and the Thessalonians received it as the word of God. Not everyone receives this message as the word of God, yet when they do receive it, it reflects upon them. Oh, excuse me, let me back up. Yet when they do not receive it, it reflects upon them, not the message. That you have not perceived spiritual things is true. But it is no proof that there are none to, be per to perceive. The whole case is like that of the Irishman who tried to upset evidence by non-evidence. Four witnesses saw him commit a murder. He pleaded that he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 persons who did not see him do it. Of, of what use would that have been? So if 40 people declared that there is no power of the Holy Ghost going on with the word... This only proves that the 40 people do not know what the others do know. This was Charles Spurgeon saying this, which is true. Just because people don't receive it, they don't believe it, does not make it true. It really is, just like I said, we, we accept and receive this word of God in faith. I apologize if I look like I'm really sweating up because I really am. Um, it's not nerve, it's just hot in here. Um, well, I am nervous, but anyways. Uh, it's, it's not that uh, we, we have to receive it. It's just like a gift. Um, if you want the gift, you receive that gift. And that's what Christ did for us. He gave us the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. And the simplicity, but the power of it is, is that you don't have to receive it. You don't, you don't have to take this gift. You can turn it away. And many have, and many will continue to do so. Uh, I was just recently, last week, preaching uh, in Panguitch last Sunday. And it amazes me that in Revelations it talks about Christ will come back and he'll reign here on earth physically for 1,000 years, which is amazing in itself to think. But that even in that 1,000 years with Christ present, physically here, there will still be those that do not receive the gift. They do not believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that they need that saving and that just amazes me when I think about that. Paul's confidence in the word of God wasn't a matter of wishful thinking or blind faith. 
He could see that it effectively works in those who believe. God's word works. It doesn't only bring information or produce feelings. There is power in the word of God to change lives. The one example I wanted to give how the power, the word of God has power to change lives uh, was our own Shane Esplin. For those of you, so many years ago, Greta Esplin stood up here with us, was part of our worship team, was a faithful uh, believer, follower of Christ, still is to this day. Uh, but she was very faithful in coming to this body of believers for many years. And her and others prayed for her husband, Shane, who was not a believer. He was raised in the LDS faith. And at some point, uh, very much, very miraculous, uh, divine intervention, Shane became a Christian, a believer. And not only that, he became a pastor. And he pastored the church in Milford. So the power of God, the power of his word, has power to change people who you would not think could be changed. And I know in my own mind, I see people out there like, I don't think there's any way that person would change. But God's power, his Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do that if they would receive that. And Shane did. And he accepted wholeheartedly. He devoured the word of God. He read it. He, he, just, he just was on fire and continues to be on fire for the word of God, to preach the word of God in Milford. And, and just praise God that he used Shane in such a powerful way. The powerful work in God is usually expressed by his word and the working of of Satan also. The men possessed with the devil are called, it's a Greek word, I can't pronounce it very well, um, enerjumini, and where the word is believed and received as the word of God, there it has this energy, or worketh effectually so so as to promote love, repentance, self-denial, Mortification, comfort, and peace. Mortification is the same as self-denying yourself. This is the um, pool was the author of this. Let me read that again. And where the word is believed and received as the word of God, there it has this energy, or worketh effectually, so as to promote love, repentance, self-denial, comfort, and peace. So that reminded me of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians uh, 5, 19 through 21. Let me first, let me start with, uh, yeah, here we go. So 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So reading that made me think about the fruit of the Spirit. This is what should come out of us as Christians. When we believe in Christ, this should be the evidence fruit in our lives. We have some fruit trees in our backyard. We have a couple apples and a couple peaches, uh, a dead apricot tree, unfortunately. Um, And it amazes me how much fruit our one apple tree produces. Just absolutely amazing. We don't really care for it other than watering it. Um, our deer that, that come through our property have been fed exceptionally well because we probably dropped about 600 apples on the ground and we go and, and, and feed them. Um, but that's the fruit that should be born, born. When you're Christian, 
it should be evident. In fact, we were discussing this yesterday in, in the men's uh, breakfast we had uh, yesterday morning, was that as Christians, we are called to be salt and light. We're taste good. We're supposed to be attractive. So when people see us, they're like, why are you different? Especially in trials and tribulations, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And especially when we go through hard times and we, we don't react as the world would react. They want to know, why do you act that way? And it should be attractive. And unfortunately, even speaking for myself, I may not always be the most attractive Christian to others. And that's unfortunate and it's sad. And it's something that I need to work on. But all of us, I'm sure, have work to do. That we would be attractive to those who do not believe in Christ Jesus. We would not repel them, but we would want to bring them in. Uh, my oldest daughter, who's downstairs teaching at this time. Uh, I don't know if they're, I guess they're called, uh, I guess it's called a meme. Um, but she put this up this morning. I thought it was, yeah, I did say it. Uh, This is from Tozer. In many churches, Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it it wouldn't hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it wouldn't cure anyone. And I think that is very true. It's been watered down so much. There's so many preachers, pastors, people out there who water down God's truth, who water down his word. Because we're going to be talking about, in fact, we talked about today, um, Trials and tribulations, they are meant for Christians. When you become a Christian, it is not, it's not supposed to be the easy road at all. In fact, it's supposed to get harder, more difficult we are, when we are on that road following Christ. So, let me continue. Um, actually, are we have that video ready? So, one of the things I like doing, since I have the microphone, I like coming up here... Um, I don't like coming up here that much, but anyways. Um, I like sharing songs and uh, because it's, it's so um, big in Michelle and, 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 my, and our lives, has been for many years, is Christian music. Um, and uh, it's pretty much what I listen to all the time when I'm on the road, um, unless there's a good Van Halen song on. But other than that, uh, I listen to a lot of Christian music. I just like, you know, like the, the music. I'm a drummer, so... Um, But I want to play this song by Jeremy Camp, Word of Life, talking about what the Word of God is, the Word of Life to us. And again, I just not only want this this song to go to your heart and in your mind, um, but just to remind you, um, you know, there's, we should surround ourselves with things of God. Whatever the, the media we watch, what we listen to, what we read, we really should just encompass our lives with the things of God to protect us, to guard us, um, just as God's Word talks about putting on that armor to shield us from when Satan does come at us, which he will, as Christ followers, if we're on that path, he will come against us. So are we ready with that? Cool. Thank you.
live like I've been changed. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. It's a process. It's something that all of us are different stages of our lives, living like God, the power of Christ, his Holy Spirit has changed our lives. And again, that's, that change is supposed to be attractive to others, that it would lead them to ask us why we are different. So in continuing, uh, verses 14, 16, the Thessalonians welcomed suffering, suffering when they welcomed the word, yet they stood, they stood steadfast. Opposition is inevitable if we stand firm in our faith. For you, brethren, became for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to to the Gentiles. When the Thessalonians responded to the gospel, they became targets of persecution. As they did, they were not alone, because those among the churches of God have often suffered persecution. The Thessalonian Christians became imitators of those who had suffered before them. The Thessalonians willingly suffered the same things because they were convinced that Paul brought them not the word of man, but the word of God. The word of man isn't worth suffering for, but a true message from God is worth it. And what that made me think of when I read that is what's going on in Afghanistan right now, not just as the whole country is in complete upheaval, but specifically those believers of Jesus Christ, the Christian Afghanistan people. And and maybe during this this time of peace, while the U.S. were occupying there and, 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 and kept it quiet for these number of years, they could... Uh, probably still not worship uh, publicly, but they could be a lot more bold about their, their faith. And now with the Taliban in, in control of the country, that's not so much. Um, they're very much um, a target now. And Satan would, have, would love to have and will use um, the Taliban, who are they're not good, they're evil, will use them to persecute these Christians. Um, it's hard for me personally to fathom, and I would think all of us, unless some of you had been through something like this, um, what's going on in Afghanistan, what's going on in Haiti. Uh, I really feel for those people. It seems like they can't get a break. Uh, the country is already suffering just when things are nice and normal. They lost their president, was assassinated, then an earthquake happens, and they had a tropical storm come through, and it's just amazing. And I know that there are Christians there that are doing the work of God, even despite the trials and tribulations, the affliction that they're going through. It's amazing. It's, it should be an encouragement to us. And it should be something for us is, you know, on one hand, you're like, man, I'm glad I'm not there. But then the hand is like, I think our time is coming. Don't know when that is. Not a, can't, you know, speak about to the future. But our time is coming as Christians here in our own country where we will be persecuted. So it's up to us to prepare for that, and that's knowing his word. And not only knowing it, but, but standing firm in the word. No matter what happens, you will stand on the word of God. If that means your life, then you lose your life for Christ, which is what he did for us. We should expect nothing less. Paul comforted these suffering Christians with the assurance that they were not the first to suffer this, this way. The Lord Jesus faced persecution 
So did Paul and his, his followers as well. Uh, they all suffered persecution because of Jesus Christ. Paul also comforted the Thessalonian Christians with the awareness that they were right, that they are the ones pleasing God. This was necessary assurance because they were persecuted by religious people and might wonder if these other religious people were in fact right before God in their persecuting. So there are other religions out there. I think of the Muslim in Afghanistan who think that they're right and that the Christianity is not the right way. And so Paul was here. He was encouraging the Christians in Thessalonica that know what you're doing, what you believe is right. It is from the, from the word of God. Um, the one thing that um, outraged or that was um, when Paul was preaching to the Gentiles in Thessalonica is that they were outraged that Gentiles, the Jews, were outraged that Gentiles could be saved without first becoming Jews. Um, that's one of the things that made him so upset because they themselves were, were proselytizing. They were trying to get them to, into the Jewish faith, and yet they were turning to the Christian faith, to Christ. Um, but they didn't have to become Jewish to do that. The Jews' opposition to the work of the missionaries among the Gentiles are not due to the fact that they were seeking to win Gentiles. The Jews themselves were vigorously engaged in proselytization. Paul comforted the Thessalonians by assuring them that God would indeed take care of their persecutors. When Christians forget this, they often disgrace and curse themselves by returning persecution for persecution towards other. Um, we are, my wife and I were watching uh, this series. It's a Marvel comic one called The Iron Fist, so it's, it's an a Asian kind of type uh, one. But one of the characters in there said an interesting thing. We know that God's word talks about an eye for an eye, not to, not to do that. Um, but when she said not to do, you know, not to take revenge on somebody, take an eye for an eye, because if everyone did this, we would all be blind, which is very true. If everyone was returning evil for evil, um, persecution for a persecution, we would all be, all be blind. So Christ was definitely one of those who did not return evil for evil. In fact, when they were persecuting him, Christ took his persecution as obedience to um, loving and obeying his father. Um, therefore, and Paul had to leave. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are a glory and joy. He's talking about preaching to the Gentile Christians in Thessalonica. Um, he was explaining his absence from the Thessalonians. Um, and that part of that absence was because Satan was at work and blocking it. It wasn't that Paul did not want to visit the Thessalonians. It was that Satan hindered Paul and his associates. Paul assured the Thessalonians that, the desi that he desired to be with them but was hindered by Satan, and that this happened time and again. The Thessalonians were mostly Gentile converts, yet when Paul mentioned Satan here, he gave no further explanation. This shows that in the few weeks he was there, Paul taught the Thessalonians much about Satan and spiritual warfare. God's word is very clear that our fight, our battle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's against the principalities, the powers that we can't see, both the demonic and the angelic powers. Paul and all his apostolic ministry and authority could still be blocked by Satan. But Paul did not just receive this satanic hindrance in a fatalistic way. He did something about the hindrance. 
First, Paul understood that this was satanic hindrance. He knew this was not a random circumstance, but a direct attack from Satan. Paul had the discernment to know. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Second, Paul had faith. For a short time means that Paul knew it would only be a short time until the roadblock was overcome. And third, Paul was committed to fight against the roadblock any way he could. If he couldn't be there in person, his letter will go for him and teach and encourage them in his absence. Many scholars believe that 1 Thessalonians was Paul's earliest letter written as an apostle to a church. If this is the case, then Satan's roadblock got Paul started on writing letters to the churches. When Satan saw the great work God did through these letters, he regretted that he ever hindered Paul at all. And Paul was, uh, was successful. The final, victory, the final victory brought by God was that he did eventually return to Thessalonica. Um, there is the potential of going to Bulgaria for a mission trip in November. Uh, still waiting on some, some different things to occur, and Michelle and I are, are considering doing that. And one of the things that, along with the, the ministry and mission in Bulgaria, uh, if we are so blessed to, to go, if it happens, uh, one of the things we will be tagging on, hopefully, if uh, Mr. Muriyama works his magic, is possibly going to Thessalonica, which is amazing. It's, it's a several-hour train ride from Bulgaria to go to Thessalonica. But um, I have never been any place like that, any place where, where one of the heroes of our faith, Paul, has set foot and been. And uh, so that's kind of something that would be amazing to hear talk about Thessalonians, talk about Thessalonica, and to be able to actually go to that, that area, that country. Supposing that we have ascertained that hindrance in our way really, really come from Satan, what then? This is what Spurgeon says. I have but one piece of advice, and that is go on. Hindrance or no hindrance, in the path of duty as God, the Holy Ghost enables you. So whether, what are we doing from Christ? And that's one of the reasons I read that verse about being on that narrow road, is when we're on that narrow road, when we're on that very narrow path, that God provides for us, that's when Satan hits us. He's not going to hit us on the wide path because there's so many people on that, and typically God is not there. That's that path that leads to destruction. That's the path where you can do anything that you want to, where that narrow path that God provides for us is something that only Christians who are following Christ should take. And when you're on that path, more than likely you will meet resistance from Satan because he does not want you to be successful in your Christian faith. He does not want others to be saved. Paul assured the Thessalonians that he could never forget them because they were his glory and his joy. His inability to visit should never be taken as a lack of love towards Thessalonians. Perhaps Paul would say that he didn't need a crown in heaven because these precious ones were his crown of victory. Those whom we bring to Jesus and disciple are a crown of victory for us. Those of us that have brought others to Christ, I think, would wholeheartedly agree with that. That's the only affirmation we need is, is to know that one other person, one other um, soul is saved by the power 
of God's word by the salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it talks about evangelism needs discipleship. Um, I put a leader. When you are being discipled as a new Christian or as a growing Christian, you're being discipled by someone who should be more mature than yourself. And that's what we're talking about here, about Timothy. This is an appointment to affliction. This is the verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we can no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So they sent Timothy to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. In the previous chapter, Paul explains how much he wanted to be with the Thessalonians during their time of trial. However, since Paul could not be with Thessalonians, he sent Timothy. Timothy to the Thessalonians, and he thought it was good good to pay that cost. Paul wanted Timothy to do two things with the Thessalonians, to establish and encourage them. Both are necessary, but establishing comes first. Encouragement can only really come after we are established in the right direction. Otherwise, we are only encouraged in the wrong course. This made me think of when Pastor Brandon was here, and he was our shepherd, our under-shepherd of the church here. And, and early on, uh, well, probably the first year when he was here, um, his direction for our church and our vision was love God, love others, make disciples. And that's exactly what Brandon's desire for this body of believers was to do, was to love God, love others, make disciples. So Brandon was continually, and others, encouraging this body to do that, to love others, to love God, love others, and make disciples. That's just an example of encouragement and getting someone, a church body or person, going in the right direction, the right path. When Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, it wasn't so nearly it wasn't not nearly so much to inspect the church that it was to help it. As the Thessalonians were established and encouraged, they would not be shaken by these afflictions. Timothy's ministry would help them to ensure their present hardship, to endure their present hardship. Without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, we are in great danger of being shaken in our faith. As I said before, when we become believers, and I'm going to read here shortly, um, it's not to be easy. In fact, it's supposed to get harder. It's supposed to get more challenging. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, I said, I'm thankful we're here. I'm thankful in this country, and I can only pray for those brothers and sisters who believe the same word, the same Bible that you and I believe, who more than likely will be tortured and killed because of it. And we sit here comfortably, it's supposed to be air-conditioned, but it doesn't feel like it's air-conditioned, in this air-conditioned church. Um, you know, hear me complain about perspiring, and, and there's Christians over there who are, you know, all of us want to, I think we want to live. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be tortured. But this is where kind of the, the rubber meets the road. Someday we, if, you know, if we're truly on that narrow path that God wants us to be on, we should expect persecution. We should expect affliction. 
These afflictions for yourselves know that we are pointed to this. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that their time of that their time of present suffering was in God's control. These were afflictions. These were afflictions they were appointed to as part of the normal Christian life. Believers have an appointment with affliction. It is true that there is a great deal of suffering we could be spared by simply obeying God's word, and God wants to spare us that suffering. Nevertheless, suffering was good enough to teach Jesus, therefore it's good enough to teach us. God does teach the believer perseverance, obedience, how to comfort others in deeper fellowship with Jesus in trials. That's what they're supposed to, to teach us. Hebrews 5.8. Excuse me. Hebrews 5 says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. As I said before, it, should be, it shouldn't be anything less for us if Christ had to endure suffering, if Christ had to endure, endure affliction on our behalf, not for himself. It was for our sins that he endured it. So we should expect to and, in a sense, gladly accept that um, affliction, that um, um, that to come upon us. Some believe that affliction means God is angry at the believer. The truth is that affliction means that God loves us enough to give the best when we may only desire what is easy. When I read that, it's kind of a hard thing to understand. But many times when we go through the hard times, it teaches just exactly what it says here. God does teach the believer perseverance obedience, how to comfort others, and deeper fellowship with Jesus in trials. Uh, made, me, made me immediately think of our own pastor, Richard Brown. He has spoken many times about how he wishes he did not have that cancer, but had God not afflicted him with cancer twice and gotten through it, he could not have the, the impact, the message, with other people who were going through cancer. What better person to speak to them, not only about the physicality of going through cancer, being treated for cancer, but on the other side. And even through that, God was at work in him, and he can be that testimony. I cannot have that impact on anyone because the only cancer I've had was a little cancer on my back, and they scooped it out or cut it out, whatever. So that's where it is right there is that, when you have gone through something, through an affliction, through some trial, tribulation, you, it's, uh, when we were in Sunday school many years ago in Vegas, one of the guys said that, you know, God will never waste a hurt or trial or affliction. There's a reason you go through it. And that's because when you come out on the other side of it, then you have that testimony. And more than likely, that testimony will be used for others to say, hey, I went through the same thing. I went through something similar, and this is what I did. This is what God did for me. This is what his word comforted me and gave me direction. Some believe that affliction... Okay, I already said that. Um, the, symbol, um, the symbol of Christianity is the cross, not a feather bed. Affliction is just part of following Jesus. Therefore, Paul recognized that Christians are appointed to affliction. Again, I know it's not comforting to hear that, but it's comforting to know that 
Christ is there for us. Christ endured affliction and torture on our behalf and that we should be willing and able to do the same with his help. Um, Affliction should never surprise the Christian. When Paul was with the Thessalonians, just for a few months before writing this letter, he warned them that they would suffer tribulation. Though he was only with them a few weeks, he taught them about the place of suffering in the Christian life. In Jesus' parable of the soils, he described the way that some fall away because when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, Jesus said when tribulation arises and not if tribulation comes, wasn't, sorry, Jesus said when tribulation arises and not if tribulation comes, the Christian's faith will be tested. So not if, but when. And um, the parables on the soil talks about one of those examples of someone enduring hardship, trials, tribulation, and falling from the word of God, falling from that relationship, which means their roots weren't deep. And that's one thing as Christians, as we grow in Christ, no matter where we are in our, our life, whether a brand new Christian or we've been a Christian for 30 years, we're continuing to dig those roots deeper. And that's in preparation because we will go through affliction. We will go through trials and tribulations as Christians. And God will not allow us. God doesn't want us to go around it, over it, or under that that time. He wants us to go right through it. And that is going through it with him, not by ourselves. And so many times I believe, and I think think Richard would would, um, uh, um, attest to this, that many times that's on our knees in prayer to Jesus that You know, we are just but these weak, fallible humans, and we need his help, we need his guidance, his encouragement, and his strength. Whether that's physical, emotional, psychological, whatever that looks like, we need his help. Paul could barely endure the thought that the faith of the Thessalonians might crumble under this season of affliction. So he sent Timothy to both check on them and to help them. Paul recognized that the tempter, that is Satan, wanted to exploit this season of suffering. As in the case of Job, Satan wanted to tempt the Thessalonians to give up on God. Reading that um, season of suffering, it made me think about the Haitians. Like I said, just never been there. I know we have a brother here of Christ and um, from Haiti, and I can only imagine what it's like there. And, you know, it's not a wealthy country. Um, And to go through an earthquake several years ago, actually not too long ago, to go through another worse earthquake, and now to have a tropical storm on top of that when all of your structures have been torn down. Um, That is definitely a time where, as believers there in Haiti, uh, I'm sure not only are they praying for that physical strength, the emotional strength to endure it, but they're coming alongside others who are not believers, may not be believers, and encouraging them that this is how you will get through this. There's the practicality of it, just as as Pastor Richard said, Samaritan's Purse is there providing for that practical help, whether that's food, water, shelter, whatever those practical needs are. But along with that practical help, they're bringing that that spiritual, that eternal help that all of them need. Um, So that's an amazing ministry that Samaritan's Purse has. If the Thessalonians did not waver in their faith, Paul would consider his work among them to have been in vain. Um, 
He sent Timothy to them because those who are in affliction need the help of other godly people. It's one of the reasons, as Christians, God's word says not to neglect gathering together as a body of believers. There are those out there who are Christians and, um, you know, claim they can be with God because they go out hiking. Um, Unfortunately, because of, of some circumstances we went through, there are lots of others that want to view it on a video. But I can attest, as many years as I have been in, a, in and with a church body, growing up in Las Vegas as a young boy, being here at Red Hill Southern Baptist Church, um, that's one of the reasons we're here, because you want to surround yourself with other godly people. Those godly people are, are, are humble. They're the ones that can come alongside you in those times of trouble. Maybe they've gone through it, and they can be that, that uh, advice. They can be that counsel to you. And if they haven't gone through it, they can pray with you. Um, so I encourage all of you, um, continuing to continue gathering here in the body of Christ, not to neglect gathering together. And whether that's here in church as a whole, whether that's in small groups, uh, whether that's uh, you know um, young families gathering together, whether it's older couples gathering together, whatever that looks like, that you not neglect gathering together, because there's a reason. Because many of us together is a greater strength than one of us together. So again, um, even though it's not the best news, it is good news that Christ is here with us. He is present. He is a uh, present help in, in our time of, of, of need. And um, even though maybe many of us have not suffered or had, had afflictions such as what is going on in Afghanistan, what is going on in Haiti, what is going on in many other places around the world, um, it will be coming, and it should be coming for us. We are no better Christians than those that are in Haiti. We are no better Christians than those that are in Afghanistan. We just happen to be blessed to be this amazing country. Um, but um, we know that it will eventually come to an end. We're going to be in heaven someday. Uh, the United States of America is not going to last forever. And I think many of us, not to get into politics or anything like that, but many of us can see kind of the writing on the wall that it's coming for us sooner than later. I can't give you a prediction when, but it's coming for us. So prepare yourself. And that means to be in his word. That means to dig your roots down deeply. That means to to be in consistent prayer with our Lord and Savior. And that also means to, for us as a body of believer, believers to not neglect gathering together, to be in fellowship, to be in Bible studies together, to be in his word, um, because we're going to have to go through, through this together um, when that time comes for us here in Iron County or here in the United States of America, however that is, where that looks like. So let me close in, in prayer before we finish our last song. Heavenly Father, precious Jesus, love you so much. I thank you for